So, um, we can call out to Jesus. Even sometimes we feel so alone. Um, when I talk to kids inside juvenile hall, they often say they don't, they don't pray or they have a hard time praying. Or they say, I pray all the time, but, and the but is, my prayers aren't answered. I'm still going to jail. I'm in jail. Things are going bad. I don't think God hears me. I don't think God is trying, you know, is, you know, where's God? And I say to them, what am I, chopped liver? God sent me and her and him. Don't we come in every week? We're God's messengers. We don't get paid. So God did hear you, and here we are. And I go, ah, yeah. <laughs> right? That's how God works. That's how God works. His what exploded? Oh, I thought you said his tongue exploded. No, he's okay. trapped on the roof of his house, and he like he prays to God, "Hey, please save me." Some dude comes by on a boat, says, "Hey, come with us." He goes around, he's like, "Don't worry, God will save me." <laughs> a, day later, a day later, uh, the flood's higher, it's up to his knees. Now he's still on his roof. He's like, "God, please save me." Another guy with a boat comes by, "Come with us, or he'll die." And he's like, "All right, God will save me." Third day. Up to his weight, uh, sorry, up to his, um, just past his chest. By then, he's just begging for, for God to save him. And again, another person on the boat comes by, says, hey, grab my hand. And he's like, don't worry, God will save you. He dies. And when he sees God, he's like, God, why did you save me? I sent three people with boats. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a great one. And, and aren't people like that? But what if they are drowning out there and nobody comes by in a boat? <laughs> it happens. Because you know what? We're not always around. God doesn't have, you would think he'd have a, a huge army of people to go out and be there for people, but it doesn't always happen. And, but before I go too far down that road, and I've already started down that road, <laughs> I wanted to, um, for the sake of you guys' memory and for the sake of uh, putting us in the mode and uh, for the sake of those who weren't here, and I think that was Felice last week, right? Um, I want to um, summarize what Simon Sinek explained in his paradox of the millennial generation. We watched, I think, a pretty cool 15-minute mm -hmm. talk on who millennials are. I, I even was on, on the Internet today. I don't even know where I was. I, I was somewhere and this random person brought up this guy's 15-minute talk oh i know i was on linkedin <laughs> and they posted the this guy's talking this is great it's a business linkedin is a sort of a business uh, professional type thing they said oh you should this guy's got this millennial thing pegged <laughs> so so basically the uh, the summary is he accused of millennials he accused them of being an feeling entitled, being lazy, narcissistic. Nancy, what's narcissistic mean? Uh, you think you're very much like God. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah's in 
It's all about me. Um, however, he let millennials off the hook pretty much by saying uh, when they work and w they want to work, um, they want to have a purpose behind their work. They want to make an impact in the world. But for some reason, they're unhappy. That was a big point that he made. That they still are unhappy. Even if they have a really nice job, they're unhappy. And you go talk to them, what, I, I'm going to quit. Why? Well, I, I don't think I'm really making an impact here. You've only worked here for eight months. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So he, he narrowed it down to four characteristics and some would say an excuse for millennials. He would say this is the reasoning. It's not their fault. He got a lot of pushback on that. People were saying, it. you, you made excuses for them, and you said it's their parents' fault. He claims it's, it's, uh, a lot of it are these four things. One of them is parenting, uh, that there was failing strategies. They got low self-esteem. Their self-image was shattered. Um, because of things like getting medals for participation, even though they may have come in last. They, didn't, they know they didn't earn it, and uh, life is amazing but depressing at the same time. Well, and the reason the self-esteem is low is because when they get out into the world, they don't get a medal for participation. That's right. Mm -hmm. they, don't get a, they don't get a raise. They don't get a pat on the back. They don't get an attaboy. They don't get a teacher saying, it's okay, Johnny. It's okay if you're really failing. We're going to pass you anyway because there's a whole bunch of people coming up behind you. Anyway, um, then Johnny can't figure out why he has to take remedial classes in, uh, in college that he should have uh, already had done in high school. Anyhow, I'm not going to get down on the educational system. Uh, but then you got helicopter parents. Nancy and I are qualified, bona fide, and certified helicopter pilots. No, we're parents. Our parents. <laughs> That's true. I got to be careful. I'm going to stick this in my sore part of my ear. Uh, <laughs> they try to help too much. They, they they float around their kids and give teachers a hard time. He also blamed the the second thing on technology. Said the relationships are superficial. Um, he he brought it up. Uh, it's a dopamine, like Facebook is a dopamine, or being liked, or having people like you and or comment on your whatever you post, gives you this inner psychological and, and chemical effect that makes you feel good. It's just like alcohol or e-cigarettes. Yes. It's like smoking or drinking or gambling. Yeah. It's very addictive, but numbing effect, it's coping with stress is how millennials cope with stress. And, and um, they grow up needing approval of parents. Now, you know, now they need it from their peers when they get older. Now you need your peers to tell you it's, it's, it's okay, it's all good. And, uh, which is not all bad. He's just saying this is the reason they're, I guess this is the reason why they feel entitled, lazy, and narcissistic. But anyway, um, he says there's too, the technology, there's too much imbalance. He gave the example of being in a meeting and having their cell phones out and not having relationships. Which brings us to the third point, impatience. Uh, they want instant gratification. Um, they, they binge with movies and TV series. Uh, on dates, they don't learn social coping mechanisms like getting to know each other on dates. It's, it's difficult. Um, and in fact, I, I would suggest to you that, that Christians of your, your age group have a hard time. How are you doing, Adam? 
uh, Christians have uh, a difficult time dating. I've, I've had some, uh, I've had many in Remedy saying, uh, I, I, I don't date. I don't date. In fact, we had a young, young lad <coughs> that grew up and um, uh, got older. He's a teacher now at a school next door. <laughs> and he, he read this book. I think it was him. He read this book. Um, you can pass that back to Adam. I can't do it effectively. Um, and it was uh, called Kiss Dating Goodbye. You ever hear of that one? Oh, it was popular for a while. This guy was a virtual expert that wrote, oh, wait a minute, he was only 25. He'd never been married. Yet, he believed that it was bad for Christians to date. And Nancy and I were aghast because um, aghast means we were just chagrined. Well, chagrin and aghast mean that we were, we really didn't buy into it. Um, yeah, we were shocked, negatively shocked, like, who does this guy think he is? And we think it's stupid. Um, I, we think dating is good. Dating the right way is good. Yeah, they were buying into, oh, we can't date. So they went around in groups. <laughs> and then nobody, it was all surface relationships. And, uh, and I think that's part of the reason that uh, people don't get married to. Uh, yes, he, he, he gave it up after he got married. So any, anyway, I, I digress. So um, there's too much imbalances. There's point impatience, instant gratification, dating, no job satisfaction, strength of relationships. They need to learn love skills. The suicide rates are higher. They're depressed more. This generation won't find joy or deep fulfillment in work or life. That's a horrible thing. What a gross generalization. But a lot of millennials believe this guy was right on. He's hitting all the right buttons. All right, then the fourth thing was environment. Now, again, this guy is a business consultant, so he said corporations care more about the numbers than the kids. Uh, they're short-term games. They teach short-term gain versus long-term gain. Or, um, in other words, look, look farther, farther down the road than you know, getting a bonus or a commission or this or that. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll get better. They don't teach them that. Uh, not helping young employees build their self-confidence or the balance of working hard and over a long period of time and the rewards that come with that. Think pensions. <laughs> That's an old term that people actually used to get pensions back in the day. Oh, they actually still do, don't they, some places. Um, millennials blame themselves. Okay, he says there's a lack of leadership to help them. They have meetings with cell phones, uh, trust forms through relationships, and they don't build up trust easily because the relationships just don't form normally. You okay? Okay, good. Okay, so he claims his last thing was innovation develops when we slow down and we start having conversation and we think and we problem solve and then we can actually build some formative relationships and not be so impatient and not let technology and the raising of our parents get in the way. And it is a fact. If you talk to a lot of major employers, I mean, large, big, big-time employers, think, think Google, think Apple, think whatever, uh, big companies like that, they, they get a lot of their brain power and a lot of their young people power from 
out of this country. Yes, yes, they, they import folks that are a little bit more serious-minded, took education a little bit more seriously, and they can do analytical thinking. There's another word for analytical thinking. Uh, that word is um, problem-solving, critical, critic critical thinking. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Critical thinking. It's the education system is not teaching you guys how to critically think. In other words, if I were to figure out this problem myself by thinking it through, think of a puzzle or a Rubik's Cube. Um, yeah, yeah, I know you could do it right now in a, in a, in a record period of time. Uh, but a lot of people can't do that because it's like spelling. Oh, I don't need to learn to spell. I've got spell check. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to n learn math. I've got a computer. I've got a calculator to teach me. I don't need to learn math. You know what I'm saying? So is it that lacking of critical skills creates a lack of skilled labor force? So here we are. Yes. There you go. It's very exciting. And so, okay, bring, reel you back in from the drumming. There, there's drumming we can hear in the, in the hinterlands uh, at the school, not far away. So we listened to, um, we listened to a, a, a song that I grew up with. Actually, you see these speakers, these loudspeakers here? Yeah. I had those in college. Some things actually do last. You just don't throw them away and get new ones. They, if they're built right, they actually last. Made in America, by the way. Uh, yes, they, yes, they did. Uh, and they didn't think the wheel would be worth anything either. See that commercial that Toyota does? Um, so we looked at Ezekiel 22.30. We looked at Jeremiah 33.26, Deuteronomy. Second, um, yes, they do. Do you? You do, okay. <coughs> and and the reason I, I I brought up those verses is that I wanted you to consider that God calls us to be there for people. We are His messengers. We um, uh, He gets very mad at the people He creates because they don't listen to Him, they don't obey Him, they're not in tune with Him. Um, they don't pay any attention to him, or they don't believe in him. So he knows that if he's going to change their hearts, then he needs, he wants, he doesn't need us, but he wants us to go out and be spokespeople. He had prophets before, and the prophets would tell people that people didn't like to hear prophets, people like Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Isaiah, and so on and so forth, Malachi. And a lot of times those prophets were chased out of town. This is what God's saying. Yeah, but I don't like the message. So let's kill the messenger. Ah. That's where it came from. So that also happens. I'll get into this in a second. That happens with us as Christians when we're the messengers. People don't always like it. Bring, bring up this Christian message 
in a philosophy class at school. Oh, my goodness. Woo! You'll get um, some mean looks and some nasty, nasty things said about you, worse than Donald Trump is being talked about. Or they'll think you're yeah. stupid. So I played the song from 10 years after. Um, do you like that? Politically correct. Everywhere is freaks and harrys, dykes and fairies. Tell me where is sanity. I know when I said it, I say it again. Oh my God. Jerry Brown, strike me down. Um, yeah, Governor Moonbeam used to listen to that music. Oh, that would be your Governor Jerry Brown. So uh, we have another song. I told you I'd bring back another one from the 70s that uh, I also, retro that Retro Remedy. And it, it's based on, and it should be, whoops, hold on. It should be in your notes somewhere. It is. Probably the last page. Or, the second page. And I played it because it's like, you know what? Back in the, those days, you know, 10 years after, was talking about go out and change the world. And then this guy is saying, well, don't waste time. You got legs, get out, get out and do it. Now, this is a secular philosophy of doing things, but he was saying, get off, off your butt and quit whining and moaning and go do it. But anyway, listen to the song. And I don't know if we have the words on the screen or not. You, ha you have them in front of you. So we're good. Let it, let it fly.
was Greg Allman singing. His brother uh, Dwayne played the guitar. Uh, Dwayne uh, married Cher at one point. Did you know that? Dwayne Allman married Cher. Just, just tell them the facts. So, you know, now you can get a flavor for why, with just a couple of songs maybe, some of us, some of us war freaks, I think that's what he called them, <laughs> when they go away, while we were looking for something to may have a purpose. We weren't much really much different than you guys. What, what could we do to make a difference? But then we settled down. We got married. We had children. We actually had to go to work, get up early in the morning, do our thing, vote, things like that, get back in regular life. Before you know it, all those dreams all those visions of being something special. Then it just became, at least for me, it became about all about me. What could I do? How much money could I make? How big a house could I have? What were the material things of life? How many Subarus could I own? I own seven, by the way. Um, not at one time. I mean, don't, don't get carried away. Um, hey, that was... That was a big time when you lived in the mountains of Colorado. You wanted a good Subaru. That's right. Subarus were the it's number one selling place for Subarus in, in the world, Denver. So uh, <laughs> they're rumbling. But other people, even before that time, were into this whole thing and how to change the world. So I'm going to tell you a little story about the golden rule. And J.C. Penney. Have you ever heard of J.C. Penney? You've heard of Penny's, right? Uh-oh. Is Penny's gone? No. Well, he's shaking his head. No. Who, who, who hasn't heard of Penny's? The clothing store? The department store? Well, what do you? Th oh. Did I mumble? J.C. Penny. Yeah, well, a lot of people just call it pennies and leave out the JC. Yeah. What happened? Tell you the story. Okay. So, our Lord, our Lord gave it. I'm reading this from Bill Bright. I'll tell you about Bill Bright in a second. He said, Our Lord gave us the golden rule. So, in everything, do to others what you have, would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, verse 12. The man, man whose name became synonymous with doing business according to the words of our Lord and the principles of the golden rule was born on September 6, 1875 on a small form, farm outside Hamilton, Missouri. J.C. Penney showed signs of becoming a merchant as early as age eight when his father informed him that from, um, oh, I lost my place. When, when he informed his father that he would have to, oh, from his father that he'd have to buy his own clothing. I'm sorry, I got uh, mixed up here. 
Um, it's my age, I think. He earned his money by doing errands and odd jobs. He later used the money he earned to raise pigs for sale. This began Penny's career as an entrepreneur, selling pigs in Missouri. There you go. Think about that. Penny opened up his first retail store, store called the Golden Rule Store in partnership with two other merchants who operated a chain of Golden Rule stores. Penny eventually went on to manage two more stores and bought the merchants' interest in the businesses, thereby launching his own stores. During the 1920s, a new store was opened at a rate of one every three days. That's some great entrepreneurship and business. To Penny, J.C. Penny, that is, the name Golden Rule represented more than a marketing strategy. It represented his deep philosophical and religious beliefs learned from his father, a Baptist minister. As an expression of the Golden Rule, he insisted on offering customers quality merchandise at the lowest possible prices. Eventually, the Golden Rule name was phased out and the stores were named J.C. Penny. He was a tireless worker and traveler. During one 18-month period in 1960-61, to 61, at age 85, he visited 67 stores and logged over 80,000 miles by airplane, train, and automobile. As a world traveler, Penny had passage booked on the Titanic's second voyage. Good thing he didn't have him booked on the first voyage. Penny was also one of the century's great articulturists. Thank you. I was seeing if anybody picked up on that. Agriculturalist. Culturalist. He, he liked farming. He owned farms in several states, including a vast 120,000-acre agricultural cooperative near Jacksonville, Florida, called Penny Farms. In 1926, Penny founded the Memorial Home Community at Penny Farms as a home for retired ministers, missionaries, and full-time religious workers. For many years, Penny was active in a church layman's movement and made many appearances before churches and layman's groups, stressing the importance of applying the golden rule to the everyday tasks of business. I knew, not me, Bill Bright, knew and greatly admired Mr. Penny as a gracious friend and beloved brother in Christ. Thank God for J.C. Penney's faithfulness in applying the Lord's words. He is a Christian example for all business people to follow. Yours for fulfilling the Great Commission each year until our Lord returns, Bill Bright. And who is Bill Bright, you ask? I see you asking. He was the founder and president and chairman emeritus of Campus Crusade for Christ, an organization which began as a campus ministry in 1951 and now has more than 27,000 full-time staff and up to 500,000 trained volunteer staff in 196 countries in areas representing 99.6% of the world's population. There you go. Campus Crusade for Christ, also known today as Crew. So, the golden rule. Now, why did I bring him into the story? Can you guess? I want to see if somebody can guess. I want to make this a little interactive here. All right, you can't guess. So, I'll help you. Oh, Nancy's going to guess. They just want the answers. What? Stay with us. Stay with us here. 
Yeah, well, he, he did that. He, he wanted to do something to change the world. <coughs> he had a dream, and he acted on it. Exactly. Now, he did it at a young age, at eight years old. His dad said, you're going to have to start buying your own clothes. Oh, bummer. Um, these Baptist ministers don't get paid much, I guess. I'm going to have to go sell some pigs, raise them and sell them. So he was an early entrepreneur. But the cool thing is he started a store called The Golden Rule. Wow. Imagine somebody in California starting a store called The Golden Rule. Instead, they have a store, like there's one in um, the Roseville Mall called, uh, oh, what's it called? Um, oh, my gosh. It's called, they have real expensive uh, jeans, and they're called, um, sort of a Christian name, they're called. Uh, yeah? No. They're called religious. Uh, or, uh, oh, true religion. True religion. Thank you. Oh. A lot of the kids in Juvie Hall tell me about I never heard of it before. Oh, yeah, they all want them. Yeah, $200, $250 jeans, expensive belts, and they all they steal and rob houses so they can buy those clothing. Right. True religion. Wow, what a, uh, oh what a, what a twist on, on the term, huh? So that's the kind of stores you get in California. <laughs> Interestingly enough, you got Chick-fil-A. Yeah. You have what other stores? Walmart, In-N-Out, Hobby Lobby. All very successful, all based on Christian morals and virtues and, and the kind of uh, and biblical principles. So they changed the world. I mean, Walmart is the largest retailer and employer in the world. Amazing. And I think Chick or not Chick Fil A, but In and Out has the longest continuous line of people trying to get a hamburger of any place I've ever seen in my 64 years of living. I, it's just Mind-boggling. Yeah, really? Amazing. So, so people are doing it, but are millennials doing it? I hear somebody who started Facebook, and that would be... What's his first name? Mark? Mark Zuckerberg found religion. Now, people are still trying to figure out what religion, but he got married. An Asian gal. Well, he was born Jewish. He is? Okay. I'm not, is that what you think it is? I'm not sure. Some say he's, he's, he's leaning towards Buddhism. But anyway, there's also a rumor that he's going to run for president. Uh, uh. So I don't want to go too far down that path. But if he finds religion, who knows what will happen? <coughs> I, need, uh, I need some water. Grant, can you go down and get me a cup of water? Thank you, sir. Uh, no, just just regular water out of the. Bottles? No, out of the. Uh, yeah. So it's done, uh, and but you can't think. I can't think of too many millennials that are taking that J.C. Penney, that um, uh, who's the guy who started Walmart? Um, what's his? Uh, not Kresge. Uh, yeah, he's. Yeah, he's dead now, but his family. <laughs> <coughs> but you guys can. You can save the world. Now, I, I came across this story, and you, you'd think I would. Uh, I think God put it in front of me about a lady, and I, I have a, some clips or some excerpts on your sheets named Janine Hagar. 
It's, it was called, and this is what attracted me to it, Saving the World, a, a Life at a Time, U.S. Probation Chief Reflects on a 30-Year Career. Hagar, Chief Probation Officer for the Federal Court in the nation's capital, um, with a staff of 44 and an annual budget of $4.2 million oversees federal offenders sentenced to probation as well as those who have completed prison sentences. Thank you for the water, my friend. Don't drop the water. I'm not going to drop it. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So um, she graduated from high school in 1982 with a sociology degree from Townsend University. She spent 24 years as, as a Maryland and federal probation officer, the D.C. Uh, jail treatment worker and sentencing specialist before becoming the first woman to head the district federal court's probation office in 2007. Now here's the part that connects the dots to what we're talking about. This is a friend of hers recalled Sherry L. McCoy who worked with her. We were babies in probation together. We thought we were saving the world. I have, and this is her speaking, I have been in mansions and I have been seen I've been in homeless shelters. I have watched offenders dig in and lead new and improved lives. I have watched some die, Hager said at a recent farewell ceremony at the court. But the greatest gift will always be living to see someone you have worked with, prayed for, or invested in change their life, she said. And the loving kindness we show them is what matters most. Now, I don't know if this lady is a Christian. I kind of think that she is when she said one of those words, prayed for. But people throw the, the P word around all over the place, right? I pray for this, I pray for that, and, and who are you praying to? Oh, well, let's not get into details. Uh, so <coughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming she is. But even if she's not, I think it's, it, it makes a point to all of us. The greatest gift will be watching somebody who you've been involved in, you've invested some time in, and see their life change. And showing them love and kindness matters the most. This is her reflecting back on 30 years of working with people that break the law. And I, I can relate to that, as you can imagine. And I wonder if you can see yourself not necessarily in that line of work, but again, trying to connect the dots to what our talk is about. If you're going to change the world, try to do it one person at a time. Change their lives. Invest in them. Spend time with them. Pray for them. Talk to them. Interact with them, whether it's at work, at school, somebody in your family. Sometimes people in your family are the hardest ones to talk to about stuff. They don't want to hear it, right? Especially if you're younger and they're older. Who are you, young lady, to tell me, right? <coughs> so I'll give you a, a, another taste of secular wisdom. Now, I found this. I think God directs me. I think the Holy Spirit takes me, and this is a lead-in to the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit leads me when I'm doing a study, preaching or teaching or whatever it is. Um, I open myself up to the Lord's leading. 
tell me what I need. Show me what I need. And he, I mean, 10 years after, the Almond Brothers, come on. He showed me that. Maybe that was a little bit more me and a little less God. I don't know. But he did. I was on Facebook. I told you I went back on Facebook uh, this year. Just, I, I, I dabble in it. Boy, it can hook you in <laughs> like a fish, and you get drawn into it uh, pretty quick. But I saw somebody I hadn't seen uh, for a while. Uh, used to be one of my, uh, a GAP volunteer that never, they finished the training, but they didn't carry it on because they were actually pregnant at the time. And they said, no problem, no problem. That's not going to stop me. I'm, I'm going to do this. And everybody, all the ladies are going, dear, after you had that baby, your life is going to change. No, 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 no. No, it's not. I'll, I'll be with you guys. <coughs> we haven't seen her since. Um, but I, I went to her Facebook page and had a picture of her, her little, little daughter. And here's what she said. And these are, um, and she's also doing some, she's very much into doing yoga. It's Buddhist yoga. So she's getting a little, some Buddhist influence there. And she wasn't a Christian. And she got pregnant by a guy that she thought loved her, but he was married, she found out, and had, now she's raising the child on her own. So here's what she said. Trust yourself. At the root, at the core, there is pure sanity, pure openness. Don't trust what you've been taught, what you think, what you believe, or what you hope. Deeper than that, trust the silence of your being. Sounds a little Buddhist to me. And if you don't think so, her next statement is, in a gentle way, you can shake the world. That's very Buddhist. They're very peaceful people. Unless you cross them, then they beat the... No. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm actually being serious about that. If you're, in, if you're in Southeast Asia, which is a very Buddhist area, and you try to start up a church there, those Buddhist monks are not happy. I'll just say that. There's a lot of persecuted people in, in, in that part of the world. But she went on to say this. This beautiful soul, talking about her little daughter, this beautiful soul is why. She is my heart and soul. She is my divine purpose. She and all other children or who we should aspire to be more like. These little souls are the most pure, innocent, loving, and joyful beings on the planet. Little Sanya, I think, is magical. Her energy and soulful eyes exert an abundance of love and happiness. She is my baby, my best friend, and my rock. Hashtag pure innocence. Hashtag true love. Hashtag divine purpose. Hashtag my tribe. Hashtag she's how I ascribe to be. Hashtag sweet soul. She's in love with that little baby, is she not? And, 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 and God bless her for that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, hashtag God bless her. But she doesn't mes mention God in here. Her whole world right now is revolving around her baby, and what she sees inside. And I would suggest to you, these are the kind of folks that we want to reach with 
abundant life and with the truth that transcends human understanding and with the kind of love that is non-judgmental and will never fade away. And the kind of person in Jesus Christ that will be there long after we leave this planet. Hashtag Jesus Christ. Hashtag G-O-D. Hashtag I could keep going. So, can anybody, I don't know if I gave you the full verses on this. Proverbs 13, 17. Can somebody read Proverbs uh, 13, 17? Some, and let me give you the microphone. Okay, let me get, let me just get my, let me put a shadow on this so I, I don't read the text going through. A Proverbs 13, 17. A unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. An unreliable messenger, a reliable messenger. Hmm. I wonder what they're talking about. An unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. Well, how do I? If we're going to be messengers, how are we going to be reliable? Hmm. Brings us to the next verse as we go down this trail. Malachi 2, 5 through 6. I hope I gave you all of that one. Would anybody like to read that one? They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living in good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. Yes, okay. I did give you okay, cool. All right, and the last one. No, it's not the last one. Yes, it is the last one, kind of. It's 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21. <coughs> and I don't think I gave it all to you, so I'm going to read it. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, task of reconciling people to him. I'll repeat that. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Does anybody know what reconciling means? Or to reconcile? Salvation. Um, give me another word besides salvation. I don't know if it's retribution. No. <coughs> Coming back together, being make, made right. Um, the forgiveness, make peace with. That's reconciliation. When you do somebody wrong and you say, I'm sorry, and then there's forgiveness, now you've reconciled. Okay. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Sinful people, I would suggest. For God was in Christ reconciling the word world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. 
God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I know a guy, a pastor, who started a church called Comeback Christian Church. Interesting. <laughs> for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So, we're being called to be messengers, to, be, to bring this reconciling message to people. Even, dare I say, to millennials. <gasps> say that again. <gasps> well, when you have a broken relationship, let's say you had a friend that you had a falling out with and you said bad things or you just never spoke to each other. And somewhere along the line, one of you said, you know, I'm sorry. I, 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 I did you wrong. Will you please, forg please forgive me? And that, and that person, to make things right, and that person says, yes, I forgive you. And you give each other big hugs, and you become BFFs and Facebook friends again, and bam, reconciliation happens. Does that make sense? <coughs> and God is looking for that reconciliation. So if we're to change the world from God's perspective... This is how he wants us to do it. One person at a time. They, they, they haven't offended us. That's what a lot of Christians get wrong. We take it personal. We become judgmental. We condemn. You're going to hell. If you do this or you sin here, you do that. If you abort that baby, you're going to hell. Right? You're homosexual? You're going to hell. You're a Mohammedan, a.k.a. you belong to the Islam religion? You're going to hell. Right? Isn't that a message that a lot of people hear? Sure we are. I'm just telling you the wrong way to do it. I'm telling you a message that people hear. I actually heard that. You did? When I was in grade school. I'll never forget it. I was at the drinking I was in grade school, I was at the drinking fountain. A girl came up to me and said, You're going to hell. You don't go to catechism. Oh my gosh, I was so upset. I went home crying. My I'm going to hell. And my mom had to bring me down from that. It just it just rocked my world. It rocks a lot of people's world. That's why they don't go into churches. Because they're going to get judged, right? You're going to hell, sinner. Well, what's that make you? Well, I'm perfect. I stopped sinning a long time ago. Don't ask me those questions. I'm not going to your church. Right? Am I wrong or am, am I close to something here? Am I on to something? Oh, should we moderate the tone? How about John 15, 19 through 17? The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. Think about that. The world would love you and you and you and you if you belong to the world. 
It's all good. If you want to watch those kind of movies, if you want to go to those kind of parties, if you want to drink those drinks, if you want to speak that kind of language, you don't need a church. Do what we do. It's okay. We'll love you. We're sisters. I think I saw about a half a million of them marching the other day and some in Washington. I saw a lot of protect our rights. Abortion's okay. Leave our bodies alone, Trump. I don't know why they're blaming Trump. He'd just taken office. I don't know why they didn't blame, blame the previous president or, oh, they did blame George Bush. But anyway, I digress. Okay? So, but if you agree with that, the world will love you. Right? But if you disagree, whoa, ho, 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 look out now. And I, and I quote John 15, 19. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Oh, my. Maybe I better not tell anybody I'm a Christian. Maybe I better not tell my classmate, my workmate, the other people that I know. Maybe I better not post anything on Facebook to Christian because if I come out of that closet, what will they think of me? Oh, I choose my words. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. And the truth of the matter is, this is Randall speaking now, a lot of Christians will not evangelize. They will not witness. They will not talk to their neighbors, their friends, their classmates, their workmates about Jesus because they don't want the confrontation. They don't want to be hated. And they already assume they're not going to listen to me. I peeped up when I was a freshman in, in college in my philosophy 101 class, and wow, I got blasted. Darn, I should have gone to a Christian school. But here's what I say. Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. He says, I'm going to give you all the power you need. Get out there and do the job. Set the captives free. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim my gospel. Because if you try to do it on your own power, and this is where I'm going with this, if you're trying to do it on your own power, you're going to get shot down. You're going to fumble with your words. You're going to get scared. You're going to get nervous. I'll do it manana. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll talk to them. They won't like me anymore. They won't be friends with me anymore. It's not worth it. You need something else. And I would say, do you need to hear from God? Do you need to make an important decision? Do you need guidance? Then what do we as Christians do? We pray. We ask to be led through his spirit and all truth so that we know what to do. Well, the same thing applies 
when you're looking to talk to, to millennials about why your life is different. Not judgmentally, not condemningly, but why you're, why you're different. Now, your actions and your lifestyle should be a really good example. But you have the Holy Spirit to draw on to give you guidance and come up with the words. John 16, 5 through 16. But now I'm going, to, I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not, this is Jesus speaking. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. He let his disciples know that he was going to die. He's going to be leaving them. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because I, if I don't, the advocate won't come. Who's the advocate? Holy Spirit. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now notice what it says. The Spirit will convict. The Spirit will judge. Not you. See, we, we get that wrong, right? We convict. We judge. We hold signs. We protest. We tell people. We judge people. And I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm not looking at you guys. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's natural for us. We got our salvation card, and those poor people, they're going to burn in hell. So the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. This is Jesus speaking again. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. That's the devil. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So if you know Jesus, if he's your friend, then he promises he sends the Holy Spirit, the Consular our advocate. The Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us and to help spread the gospel. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. We need to allow him to work through us and give him more authority in our lives. Once we have received the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to witness to the world about Jesus. And what I'm suggesting there is, without the Holy Spirit, it's very difficult to witness the world because you will come off as a hypocrite, you'll come off as, uh, I got to be careful with words I say here, because I'm starting to think of words that they call us. Do they, they do call us names, you know. Hypocrite, that's a nice word. I'm thinking of some tougher words than that. But we come across as, like I said, being judgmental and holier than thou, and we've got something that they don't have, so we're um, arrogant. And you know what? For the most part, they're pretty much right. 
if we look ourselves in the mirror and we hear what some of the things that are being said. So we've got to come up with a different strategy. And that's what I want you guys to break up into small groups like we did last week and discuss some of that strategy. What would you do different? How can you behave? How can you act? How can you use the Holy Spirit? How can you talk to other people? Think of just one person you'd like to talk to and bring them into the conversation. And the time right now is... Wow. Somebody got a little wordy. It's all those Bible verses. Okay. <sighs> should we share together or should we do part three next week? I think we should just share together and Yeah? All right. Let's let's do that. Let's share together. So who wants to share? I was struck by, oh, okay, I was struck by, uh, I mean, I've heard this verse a lot before, but um, uh, I'm not seeing it here now. Uh, yeah, I was looking for, uh, just the one about um, changing the world is actually helping people reconcile to God because as reconciliation is so important I mean to all of us I mean we don't feel good when we're not reconciled with a friend or a family member we we there's something just wrong in our lives until we can reconcile that when we do it just feels so good and just like a you take a deep breath and 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 that's the issue out there is that uh, that's our job is to help people be reconciled to God because he is out of relationship with those people. I guess that really hit me tonight that that's something we can do. We can help we can help them be reconciled. Which is which is and how do we reconcile with someone else? I mean we do it in a humble gentle way i'm sorry if i hurt you our relationship is more important than that so we can be humble and gentle with people as we're helping them see that and of course the way to do that is to earn the right <coughs> to speak into their lives how do we earn the right well i don't want to no okay but you brought up a good point how nancy said how do we earn the right i think i think that's how do you earn the right? I, I, I know a good answer, but I want somebody else to answer that. I'll go back to Michael. How do you earn the right? Well, first you have to foster a close friendship with them. It's not, uh, if, you, if you just kind of go right out and say, oh, hey, you know, my purpose here and being a friend with you is only to save you and get you to be a Christian, like that's, <laughs> honestly, you're never going to be able to, to reach people like that because then they don't feel like they're, you're invested in their lives. 
you have to actually care about them like on on levels that they can relate to it's kind of like it's kind of like with the homeless you don't just be like hey this is jesus and he loves you and you're starving and i've got some food but i'm going to tell you about jesus first no you meet the need first right it's in the same way it's kind of like with a with a friendship you foster a friendship and show them that you care about them that that works but like you know it's it, it also has to do with maybe lose my focus dang it <laughs> but um what was i going to say the the whole thing about y- you you put that priority first and and sometimes for them it can be you know being for them whenever they whenever they need you to be um i guess there was there's something I was gonna I lost it. Oh well. Yeah. Because I I think and sorry to interrupt you because I used just an example of you going to pick people up and bringing them here, but you can be available to somebody, who, who uh, just being on the other end of the phone or the other end of a text, or the end other end of uh, a Facebook message. Um, and even to 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 add on to that. Um, I mean, it, it is, especially with evangelizing, it seems to me at the core, it's all about um, about leadership, and leadership is at its core influence. And um, as we're all college age, um, one of the, we have natural influence in some areas of our lives. For instance, high schoolers think we're cool. We all know we're not, but they think we are. Um, and so even in those kind of in relationships with people who automatically give us some kind of influence, give us some kind of, they assume that we are, you know, cool or we're hip or whatever, we can utilize that in itself to, to you know, forward the message of Christ, which I think is kind of neat and doesn't require a lot of work, too, which is plus. I'll be right, right to you. You reminded me of a um, conversation I had with Tyler today. Everybody knows Tyler, right? Uh, so Tyler is probably not going to be joining us much anymore. That's too bad. Part of, part of the reason, and a major part of the reason, is he, he made a decision to um, uh, join Young Life. Are you all familiar with Young Life? Okay, so they reach out. You made me think of it by mentioning the high school kids. So they, they're going to reach out to high school, and he, he, he did a lot of that, essentially, when he was in the Czech Republic. So he wants to do that here. And so he's going to be putting in a lot of days and a lot of nights and a lot of time and if he's going to do any leadership, he wants to do that here. And he feels like if he was here, he would be asked to be in leadership, which I already did. And he doesn't want to do that. He just wants to, if he goes to a college group, a young adult group, he just wants to chill and be in the background. Uh, but really, he wants to focus on young life. And I said, go for it. It's, it's a good cause. Okay, back to Michael. Um, so what I, what I was going to say before I forgot was, uh, that you're gonna, you're gonna be there for them even if, say, they just outright reject your religion. Like, like I, I've had friends where it's like, you know, oh, so this is your agenda? So, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna convert. I'm not gonna go there. So what does that mean? You're not gonna be my friend anymore? You know, I'm a homosexual. Like, what does that mean for our friendship, right? And, you know, I always reassure them that, like, I care about you more than 
than what your lifestyle is. That's that's irrelevant to me. I care about you on more more than that. You know, that's that's gonna it's gonna take a lot more to you know try and for for me to suddenly not want to be your friend for something like that. It's not gonna work. But it, yeah, the, the the point being is that you're in it for the long haul, even if you know they don't necessarily f seem um, open at first. I've got I've got a homosexual friend who told me that I was the only religious person that they ever trusted or wanted to talk to, right? Like, that's that's kind of like a it feels like an honor, honestly, when you've earned somebody's trust to that level, you know. So, yeah, you just have to be in it for the long haul and not not just smother them with, you know, right out of the game. Yeah. yeah. Excellent points. Excellent points. Yeah, just adding on to that, um, in the same similar vein, one of the ways that you can earn the right to speak into someone's life is to just basically break all of the ideas that they have of religious people um, by being what Christ actually was to that group. Um, by doing that, you show them, hey, we're not actually all hypocritical, judgmental, hateful people. We do actually care about you and love you and want to honor and respect you. And when they start seeing that in your life and seeing you live up to those standards and, and saying, no, this is wrong, and you're living up to that standard by holding, it to, holding yourself to that, that standard too, um, they start asking you questions. And that's when you can get the chance to speak into their lives. Um, but yeah, I've had similar experiences with Michael uh, of, um, that Michael has of people who either are homosexual who very strongly support homosexual tell me that uh, uh, turn to me as someone that knows their scripture what is God's view on marriage? What's God's view on such and such a topic that I absolutely know we're going to completely disagree on? Um, but they turn to me not because, because they know that I know, know God's word and that I'm going to be respectful enough to them to share it in a respectful manner. Um, that's a key. Um, so knowing when to speak and choosing when to speak um, is a big deal. Um, so like if you're in a big group of people that all completely disagree with you and you're the one person speaking out, you're probably not going to have a whole bunch of people listening to you. But if it's one-on-one -on -one and someone is asking you questions, that's a much more appropriate time to speak. Um, that's, that's how you can earn the right to speak into someone's life. Underlined respectful. Yep. Yeah. And choosing the right time, the right place. And being prepared, what's the verse in Peter? First Peter, somewhere in there, it says, always be prepared to give a hope or a reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. And if I would suggest if we're not prepared, if you're not doing your one-on-one -on -one Bible study or in a, a study with some other believers in a Bible study, or you're not going to church and hearing a good message, 
or somewhere getting preached to. I do more teaching than preaching. Every now and then I'll preach, but I'd rather teach. Um, there is a difference. But if you're getting filled with the Word, if you're doing your own Bible study, if you're reading the Bible and you're into the Word, then you're prepared, right, for such a time and such a place when you get asked those questions. And now you've earned the right from not only God's point of view, but from their point of view. Boom, what a great position to be in. So what else from this study? Was, was I off base with your generation wanting to change the world? Because remember I told you last week that most generations before us, before you, and probably after you, all want to make a difference in the world somehow, some way. Is that pretty much true of everybody in here? Somehow, some way you might want to make a difference? I mean, deep down? Yes, Garrett? I think a lot of millennials, not, you know, some of them, not all of them want to do that, but I think the ones that don't want to do that, they just want to be fulfilled in their, in their workplace. They want to feel like that they're, um, work enriches their lives and something they can live off of because it's uh it's, it's a lot of th a lot of millennials are having a hard time finding work that they can live off of True that. Many th maybe things will change maybe. <laughs> maybe things will change what else did we learn from this cough drop or some places called a lozenge Nancy asked me what I was chewing on but actually it's a cough lozenge I'm sucking on it listen so as the song said the last song of uh, the song that I played not the worship songs Ain't wasting time no more. There's a few lines in there that weren't necessarily exactly where I was going with. Uh, like go downtown and find somebody to love. I guess you could say go downtown and find somebody to love in a Christian way. Love with the love of Jesus. Or uh, you can look inside yourself and you don't see what you want. Leave your mind alone and just get high. Well, that's a little bit of escapism. <laughs> I would suggest to you. You know, you can't always do that. But part of the purpose, I think, of his song is, you know, he at that time, people were talking about protesting the war. When the, when the war was over, it's like, oh, dang, now what will we protest? The war is over. What can we complain about? So... He's like, man, just you got you have two legs, um, and time goes by. If you if you if you waste your time, it's going to go by like a hurricane, like the pouring rain, like a fast moving train, and stuff like that. And you know what? He was a modern philosopher because I can tell you how many years later, <laughs> time has gone by.
time. The songs are there, but it's been many years ago. And I guarantee you, you'll want to, you, you can read about this, you hear about this. When you get older, you hear more about this kind of stuff. When people are on their deathbed, they don't really care about all the toys they accumulated. They don't really care about the wealth. They don't really care about a lot of things. What they care about are the relationships that they've had and what kind of difference they made in people's lives that they knew. And many people regret. They look back and say, oh my gosh, I was chasing all the wrong things. What difference did I make? In fact, I alienated a bunch of people. My children don't love me. They're not here for me. They can't wait for me to kick the bucket so they can get their inheritance. You see movies and read books about it all the time. It's true. If you damage those relationships along the way, you'll look back on your life and say, especially if you're not a believer, what was I here for? Why, why did I even come to this planet? Now I'm leaving it and for what? What was it all about? One of the beauties about understanding where Jesus comes into your life is that you know what it's all about. Or at least we come here Tuesday nights trying to figure out what it's about, right? I hope you're learning that. I think going and doing things like at Living Water and helping the hopeless, homeless people there, that's getting it. But that's not what this talk is about. That's not what the teaching is about. It's about changing changing lives because you're not going to develop relationships with those people there. You'll help. But you can go in the Peace Corps. You can go in AmeriCorps. You can go to another city. You can go to another country. And you can be helpful to people. There will always be poor people. Always has, always will be. That's what the Bible says. And that's what history has shown. There's going to be sickness, there's going to be death, there's going to be taxes, and God's going to put in leaders who he wants and appoints, and we're supposed to obey them. Look at Romans. So all those things are there, but if you're going to change the world, it's one person at a time, one individual at a time. Yes, Grant. Say again. I want to change the world, but I don't know how right now. One per find one person at a time. One person, build that relationship, show them that you care, love on them a little bit, earn the right, like we've been talking about, earn the, the right to express your beliefs and what you know about Jesus or get to the point where they feel comfortable in trusting you to ask you questions about your faith. Even in my deathbed, I would, I would, I would know I want to also like clean the past, all that's gone and dust. I, I, I wouldn't care anymore what I have accumulated over the years. That's right. None of us will. We'll look, we'll look back on the past, though, and we will care. 
we all have regrets. The Bible talks about that too. The, the craziness and the, the wildness of youth. I don't, I don't personally have that excuse anymore. So um, I, can't, I can't draw on that. You guys can still kind of draw on that a little bit. So that's, let's wrap it up, shall we? Anybody else? Anyone? I'm looking for eye contact. You're getting a little weary. Let's play, if you don't mind, I have one more worship song. They'll take about three or four minutes. And let's just end with that song. I think we have one more, don't we? Maybe.